As they're making their way out, if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Colossians. There should be a Bible there in the pew in front of you if you need one. And if you need help finding Colossians, you just go to the New Testament. And you remember this phrase, go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There you go, a little help this morning for you. Get turned there, and uh, we're going to be in chapter 3. We're continuing our study in the book of Colossians. For those of you visiting with us this morning, thank you for being here. Uh, We hope that you enjoy your time with us and would ask that before you leave, uh, grab a welcome packet. Uh, They should be outside on the table. Uh, If not, you can check with one of our ushers. Inside is a little uh, form. Please fill that out if you haven't done that so already. And just you can just leave it on one of the tables before you leave. This gives us a record of you being here. And uh, we'd like to reach out to you and say welcome and hope you will come back and spend some time with us. Community is a special place. Um, and uh, yes, I'm biased. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor here, but let me tell you, I've traveled a lot. I've spoken to a lot of churches. I've been in a lot of places. And I say it with all sincerity. Community is a special place. And uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that community. So uh, with that said, we're in the book of Colossians. And we'll pick up our reading in chapter 3. And what I want to do to kind of help give that background is just start from verse 1. And we'll probably do this for a while until we get through chapter 3, just because we need the context. So, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then, and there's the big if, if then... You were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. In which you, yourselves, once walked when you lived in them. But now, you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you've put off the old man and his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of Him who created Him. Where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, 
long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against you, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Father, I pray this morning for the reading of Your Word and for the preaching of Your Word. And Lord, I ask that You will open our hearts, that You will open our minds, and Lord, that You will draw us near to You to hear from You. Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And then, Lord, give us a heart that will surrender. Let us be obedient. Lord, my prayer is this won't be just another Sunday morning where we go to church and hear a message and go home and forget everything that we heard. But instead, Lord, I pray that we would heed what we hear, change us from the inside out, have your will and way in our life, that this might be a transforming moment, that there might be an exchange that takes place here today. And so, Lord, my prayer is if there be any man or woman lost here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, let today be their day of salvation. May they come with full surrender and receive the greatest gift they could ever receive, your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Today's message is the new man. And I know some of you are, are wondering, well, wait a minute, I didn't think we finished last time we were here. We, we didn't. Uh, we're kind of picking up from where we left off. Uh, you recall last time we were talking about whose jersey are you wearing? which was appropriate for uh, our Super Bowl Sunday. And the question was asked, you know, whose jersey are you wearing? Because when you wear a jersey, you identify with a team. People look at you and they say, hey, that guy's a Cowboys fan. Hey, that guy's a Lakers fan. You know, they, they know based upon the jersey they see. And so the challenge was, from the passages we just read, was as followers of Christ, you wear a jersey. And, and we see the things that Paul is instructing the follower to put on. He says, put this off, but put this on. And if we're wearing the jersey of Christ, there are certain things that ought to be seen. There's things that ought to be looked at. And clearly, when folks see, they identify you with Team Jesus. And so I want to talk a little bit more about that in the second part of that section of Scripture because this is what the new man looks like. And Paul makes it real clear. If then, you've been born again. If then, you've been buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life, you're a follower of Jesus, then there are certain identifying marks that should be a part of our life. And so God says throughout His Word that, hey, salvation's a gift. You don't earn it. So don't think, hey, if I just you know, clean up, put on a new pair of socks, be like put on a new pair of socks from the dirty hamper. Uh, my kids do that sometimes, and I've been guilty myself. You know, it's not laundry day, so we've got to go with what we got, right? 
So sometimes we as Christians, or, or, or I should say people who are not Christians, sometimes think, well, you know, if I just clean up a little bit, maybe if I just go to church, or maybe if I just do a little better, you know, that's going to somehow earn me favor with God. Guys, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to clean up enough. You can't. It's impossible because you're spiritually dead. The Bible says you and I have a nature, and our nature begets nature. We have an Adamic nature from our father Adam. We fail in the garden. We sinned against a holy, righteous, perfect God. And you and I are not perfect. We are far from it. We fall way short of the glory of God. So we're in trouble. We're in desperate trouble. But that's not where the story ends. In fact, that's just the beginning. God loves us, and He demonstrated His love for us that while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. See, God had a plan before the foundation of the globe. And He intervened in time. God took on the form of a man to pay for a debt you and I couldn't pay. Yes, we're born spiritually dead, but through the grace of God, we can be made alive through faith in Christ. We can be quickened. We can, as the Bible says, born again from above. This is the life-changing message that Christ brought into the world. This is why He lived a sinless life. This is why Jesus was the perfection that you and I could not be. He fulfilled the law in every point and laid down His life to take on my sin and your sin because He knew without His grace... We're doomed for eternity. And he makes that offer to the world. Whosoever will, let them come. If you want your sins to be forgiven, if you want to be clothed in a new garment, if you want to walk as a new man, if you want a new nature, if you want to be brought back spiritually from the dead and made alive in Christ, Christ is the way. He's the only way. And no one will come to the Father except through Him. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The bad news is we, we've sinned, we've offended the holy God, we're doomed, we're dead. Dead men don't do anything. They can't. They're dead. But when God breathes life through His Word, when God breathes life through the grace that's extended to mankind, when, when God brings that gift, and He did 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus Christ came into this world to offer you and I what we could not provide for ourselves and that's why we call the cross the great exchange you know when I go to the grocery store I take in some money and I exchange it for a gallon of milk I get the milk they get the money there's an exchange well guess what happened to the cross I give Jesus my sin and he who knew no sin takes my sin and exchanges it for His righteousness. Wow! That's the deal of the century. That's the greatest gift you could ever get. I mean, think about it. He who knew no sin became sin on my behalf so that I might become the righteousness that's found in Him. So you and I are clothed as a new man with the very righteousness of God so that when you and I die physically in this body and we step into the presence of God, He doesn't see me in the sins I've committed. He doesn't see my evil thoughts and the wicked deeds of my heart. 
Instead, he sees the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who paid in full the payment that you and I couldn't pay. He sees the righteousness, the garment of righteousness that I'm clothed in, that you're clothed in when you've come to place your faith and life in the hands of Jesus Christ. And so I start right out of the gate, guys. If you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you've never come to that point of complete surrender, then surrender today before it's eternally too late. It's the greatest exchange. It's the greatest gift you could ever receive is eternal life. And eternal life doesn't begin when you step into heaven. Eternal life begins right now. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, for those of you who have received, if then you be raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above. Not the things that are on earth. Put your mind on things above. Some of us struggle week in, week out. We wonder, oh, why is, that, well, why is my life falling apart? Why am I having these issues? Why am I having these problems? Why is this going on? Why are these struggles? Why is these things coming? Well, let me just say, for those of you who choose to live a righteous life, you will suffer persecution. Let's start right there. God already says, if, if, if you've made a turn in life, you're swimming upstream. And let me tell you, swimming upstream is a lot harder than just going with the flow. Any of y'all ever been tubing? Yeah, yeah, I like to tube down the river, you know, up western North Carolina. Woohoo! Problem is, every time I go tubing, the water is like so low, your butt drags. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Man, that is the worst trip when you got to get up and you walk about three more feet and you plop back down. Oh, here we go, here we go. Oh, hit another rock. <clears throat> You know, and you got to get up and walk another, go again. That's lousy, man. Nobody likes that kind of tubing. But you know, when that current's just a flowing and you're just a going, you're just cruising, man. You're just floating along. Guys, that was us in our sin, though. It's easy because broad is the way, wide is the way that leads to hell, that leads to death and destruction. And we're just kind of cruising. And we don't even know it. We're just floating. But then the Spirit of God speaks. We hear the Word of God speak and something convicts our heart and we start actually thinking for the first time, wait a minute, what if this is true? What if I do die and, and there is a hell and there really is and Jesus really... Well, what, what if? What if? And then all of a sudden that, that power of conviction in the Holy Spirit starts to work on our heart and our mind. And hopefully we come to a place of repentance where we recognize, man, I am a sinner. I have offended a holy God. And we turn to God and cry out for mercy, for forgiveness, for grace. I want to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, now, buddy, we're going upstream. And if any of you ever tried to swim against the current, it's hard. It ain't easy. So let me just say right out of the gate, if you're having a lot of struggles and troubles and problems in your life, it could be number one because you're choosing to live a righteous life. You're desiring to follow after Christ. You're putting off the old man. You're putting on the new man because God says what I've worked in, you need to work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean earn your salvation. That means what He's deposited in you, God's sovereignty, you have a responsibility to live it out. Look, I'm not going to lose weight by praying for it. You know? Dear Lord, take the extra 20 pounds from my waistline. Hallelujah, amen. <laughs> Woo! Glory be! Don't work that way, does it? And salvation is, look, God's worked it in. It's a free gift. But once we've received that gift, we have a responsibility. God chips away at us, and it's His grace that empowers us to do it so that it's not in our own strength. And that's important. And so... As we look at Colossians 3, 
These are the concepts. These are the things that are happening. We talked about last time the image of God, and you see this in verses 10 through 11. And, and we discussed that, how you were created in the image of God, but that image was marred at the fall. And therefore we're dead, and we need to be made alive. And today we're going to pick up, and this is where we left off, we're going to talk about the elect of God. And that's going to be found in verse 12. And just sort of give you an idea of where we're going, who knows how long it'll take us to get there or when we'll get there, but by God's grace we're moving this way. We'll look at the example of God. And you'll find that in verse 13. And then we'll move on from there. And appropriate time, it's Valentine's week. The love of God. And again, if you want to understand real love, we must look at agape love. The love of God. Divine love. And so keep that in mind, especially this week. When many of you will be, will be tempted with eros. That's not love. Especially all you young, unmarried people. Eros is not love, okay? Um, that's the world's idea of love. That's what... That's what you see on soap operas, but I know none of y'all watch soap operas because you're good Christians. I'm just saying. The love of God. And then we'll look at the peace of God, found in verse 15. I know some of you are writing frantically. A little help, helpful advice. Take a picture of it, and then you can write while it's sitting on your lap. Right, Miss Grubby? Good to have you back with us. <laughs> and Glenn Lanning, praise God. Good to see you, brother. Awesome. Man, there's a lot of folks out here. Anyway, I love y'all. Check it out. Then we got the Word of God, which will be coming up in verse 16 and 17. And so uh, we'll, we'll kind of unpack these themes as we kind of go along in the book of Colossians. But let's talk about the elect of God. The elect of God. Now, let me just say this as we get to this subject. There in no way is... It, I'm not going to exhaust this. All right, we, we dare not go down this rabbit hole because uh, we would be there forever and a day. Let me just say this, a many, a many of very great, brilliant theological minds have wrestled with this long before I even got to this text or even thought about getting to this text. There is a tension that is in Scripture and it's there for a reason. I love what Brother Dean says, the, quoting from Deuteronomy, the mysteries of God belong to God in essence. And so there are some things that, that are just, quite frankly, Mysteries that we cannot fully comprehend. Now, we can apprehend, and that's what we will attempt to do because I believe God wants us to, as best as He has given us, to apprehend these thoughts and themes. But there are some things we won't fully understand until we're in His presence. And I believe one of those is the tension on this subject of the elect of God. And... Many people have divided into camps under the Christian umbrella of what it means to be the elect of God, to be chosen by God. And a lot of straw man arguments, a lot of misnomers. Now let me just say very clearly up front, if your understanding of this is that God lines up five people and says, okay, one, two, three, four, five, you're going to heaven, and He lines up five others and says, one, two, three, four, five, you're going to hell. That is not the concept. Nothing can impugn the character of God, and I believe that type of argument would. And again, we can wrestle through these things, uh, but let's simply stay with the text and what the text says. And I want to highlight as we go through this, and this is why I don't want to spend a lot of time on this subject, because I don't think in the context 
that was the intention of the writer. But as far as the elect of God, I will say this, the Scripture does say this. The Scripture does say that before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in Christ. That before anything ever began, He knew you. Your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He knows those because He says you're chosen as God's chosen people. And this, in the context of what Paul's writing, should be a motivation for you to live a different life. That's the context of this, this comment, the elect, the chosen, is that when you recognize who you are and who you belong to, when you recognize that God's favor is with you because of who Christ is, that should be a motivator on how we live. How then shall we live? Well, again, if you know you're a child of the king and your, your dad's the, the, the owner of all the kingdoms, you're going to carry yourself a little differently. You should. There should be an internal motivation recognizing your identity. Christian, hear me. If you have been born again, you've been blood-bought, when you recognize the mercies of God, you should desire to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. That should be a motivator in and of itself. And so in the context of what Paul's talking about, he says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Now let me just stop there for a second. Yes, being God's chosen people speaks about our election. Scriptures make it real clear we weren't saved because of our righteousness or our good works. We were saved by grace, right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. That's God's unmerited election and His sovereign choice. That's what the Scripture teaches. I'm not going to back away from that. And so, as we come to this and we wrestle through this, I want us to think about what Paul had in mind here when he uses this. Now again, he already goes in with the assumption that you understand that as an adopted son. Okay, Because by the way, who were you once? We talked about this last week. You and I once were, because of the Adamic nature, because of our fallen nature, we were sons of Adam, right? The first Adam. Even because of that nature, you are of your father the devil. I'll never forget, I love telling this story, I don't know why, I just chuckled, you had to, maybe it's one of those had to be there moments, but let me see if I can pull you in for a minute. I was a youth pastor. We had about five different youth groups all gathered together, we rented out a, a, a place in, in uh, just north of Greensboro, and, and uh, man, it was just packed out, we had hundreds of kids and all these different youth groups together, and my good buddy Stugelmeyer, you guys know Stugelmeyer, he's preached here many times, and he was a youth pastor also, and and so we had all our youth groups together, and we had this praise uh, band, youth band, that was from Cletus Titus's church, and uh, they were up there playing, man. It was just a good, you know, worship time. And all of a sudden, I look. I'm trying to praise Jesus, but all of a sudden, I see these kids go running. This boy goes running. Then these girls go running, chasing him to the bathroom. And the girls are standing outside the bathroom, and the boy had run inside. And I see Pastor Stugelmeyer goes over there. So I'm like, what's going on, man, you know? Uh, by the way, we were talking about this earlier. We are having a drama team. That made me think of a drama team. Anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, teens, you need to practice, right? So they, we, I go to the bathroom. I walk in, 
And there's this kid laying, teenage boy, laying on the floor of the stall in the bathroom, sobbing like a baby. Just <laughs> and he's just, and Stugemeyer's standing there like this. Arms crossed, and he's just shaking his head. And I'm like, so I'm just standing back, because this is his kid. I'm like, you know, as a shepherd, I don't want to interfere with the shepherd and sheep, whatever's going on. I'm, so I'm just kind of standing back, observing. And I'll never forget, Pastor Stugemeyer looks at him and goes, Daniel, you know who you're acting like? You're acting like your dad. You're acting like your father. And I'm thinking, man, his dad must be like really bad shape. He must be like a basket case, an emotional wreck. And no sooner than that thought hits my head, I kid you not, Stugemeyer goes, you're acting just like your father, the devil. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't remember that in my counseling class. But I understand his point, and they had a relationship, I guess, that they could talk that plain. Man, I say, I even think something like that around here. Y'all leave. I mean, you know, it's like, whew, I didn't even have time to explain, you know. But yeah, he just launched it, and, and of course, you know, things worked out. I guess Daniel was having some, some issues, but he's right. He was acting like an old man. He was acting like the natural man, Right? In the sense that, and again, uh, without going into all the details, he was being fleshly. He was responding not with the thoughts of Christ, not with the things of God. He was responding to his flesh. And when we're responding to our flesh, when we're doing things in the flesh, guys, we are doing things of our old nature. And so that's what Paul was kind of wanting to know, to lay out here. But notice clearly what he does say. Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved. Underline those three words. The elect of God, holy and beloved. These phrases Paul's intentionally using. Think about the Old Testament. Who were these phrases used for in the Old Testament? This interactive part. In the Old Testament, who, who were God's chosen people? Israel, yes, Israel were. This was the way God referenced His children, His chosen in the Old Testament. And now Paul's using the same three words in description to explain to the church at Colossae that they are the chosen. They are grafted in. Just because, again, think about what's going on in Colossae. They had the Judaizers that were there trying to say, oh, you, you, yeah, Jesus is fine, but in order to get to where Jesus is, you've got to come through the hallway to get to the sanctuary, and the hallway is circumcision, keeping the law, those kind of things. So you've got to come through that first. So if you've not done that, Gentile, you need to be circumcised. And then Paul said, no, 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 no. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus. Boom, plain and simple, done, finished, complete. And so when Paul says this, think about how that was heard. Therefore, all these things we've just said, because why is therefore, therefore? Anytime you see therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for. And he says, therefore, as the elect of God. Huh? Get all those Jewish Judaizers there gave a little Scooby-Doo look right then, didn't they? Huh? Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, that word holy means to be separated apart from, right? Church, you've been separated from the world 
for God's namesake. That's why He's chosen you. Not for you, for Him. Right? We have been set apart for Him. And beloved. This is the plural of love. You are the beloved. God loves you. And so, this is what Paul is trying to communicate here in the context. I love what D.L. Moody says about the subject of election. The elect are the whosoever wills. The non-elect are the whosoever wants. Hey, brother, that's my kind of language right there, isn't it? I mean, really, we could spend the rest of the year talking about this, and many people are, you know, dude, there you go. Take a photo of that, and just let that sink in for a little bit. And I do think too often times we wrestle through this tension in the text when the reality is, listen, God is sovereign. God has chosen. God does choose. But the offer is to whosoever will let them come. There's a responsibility that rests with man. And every man, according to Romans 1, will stand without excuse. Thessalonians talks about in the end, prior to the Antichrist coming and, and, and the whole end, end of times things unfolding, he says that they will perish, talking about the unsaved, they will be damned because they did not receive the love of the truth. That implies that they had an opportunity to receive the love of the truth, doesn't it? They will be damned, but they, they did not, they did not receive the love of the truth. But instead, it goes on to say, but instead had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, John talks about this. John chapter 1, he says, Jesus came into his own, but his own did not receive him. Because man loves darkness rather than light. See, this is the problem, guys. It's the Adamic nature. We too once were children of wrath. We too once were under that abiding hand that was going to fall upon us until we believed. And the reason that wrath waits to fall is because there are still some who've yet to believe that will believe. And there's coming a point in time when that, when that time will come and that wrath will fall. And so, again, if you're here today, don't test God in this. The Spirit of God will not always strive with man. If you hear His knock, you need to respond today. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, if you want to turn there, you can look here. By the way, again, you know Ephesians is written at the same time that Colossians was written. It's actually believed that perhaps Colossians might have even... I know there's some dispute on this. Some say Ephesians, some say Colossians. Bottom line is they were circulated in the same region. The Three Rivers area was where Colossae went, and you know that, um, uh, that in that circle of basically probably three churches in that area where Colossians was being circulated, it eventually is believed by some to have expanded, and Paul writes in Ephesians, and it goes even to a bigger circuit circulated amongst the churches. Because back in those days, they didn't have instant messenger, text messaging, pick your choice. It was, here's a letter, circulate it. But notice what it said in Ephesians. Just as He chooses us in Him before the foundation of the world. 
Now again, this is just what Scripture says, guys. There's no need to make excuses and try to explain it away. Just as He chose us in Him... By the way, key word, key term, better understand this, in Him, in Christ. Study Ephesians and underline every time you see in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We'll talk about that in just a second. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world... And notice again, here it is again. We see this keep repeating. What are you chosen for? What are you predestined to? When you read that too many times, we get bogged down with the whole election concept and we miss the whole point of the context. The point is you're not saved for yourself. You're saved to serve. For by grace you've been saved, right? We know that 289, but we forget about 10. You're created in Christ Jesus. There's that phrase again. Created in Christ Jesus Unto good works. See? So that that might be lived out. Not just get saved, sit, soak, and sour. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. I mean, let that text sink in, guys. Notice that text. This was God's pleasure, His goodwill to adopt you. Because think about it. In adoption, you have a natural family. And that child has the natural inclinations of that family, right? There's certain things, we know this genetically, there's certain you know, things that are in that child that comes from his biological family. His nature is hardwired as such. But as the adopted family, and those of you who understand adoption, you understand this, that you adopt this child into your family, okay, they get a new name. They get a new identity, right? Now, it breaks down there. But with Christ... We don't just get a new name, a new garment, you know. We get a new identity. We get a new nature. Whereas we were once children of darkness, now we're children of light. And this is the comparison Paul is saying. He's saying, look, as a a child of Adam, you wore certain clothing. People identified you. Oh, trust me, they identified me. There comes that Jeremy kid, we better leave. (laughs) I don't want to hang out with him. Bad company corrupts good morals. (laughs) That's what all you Christian folk used to say about me. And you were right. There was a nature that displayed certain things. But as a new believer in Christ, I'm now enclosed, I'm now robed in the righteousness of Christ. I've got a new nature. And so Paul is saying, let that nature come through. Let that be lived out. And that takes effort. Not your effort. The effort it takes from you is dying to self. The effort it takes from me is getting out of the way, yielding to what God wants to do. But for the first time in my life, I actually have the power to do it because the Holy Spirit now indwells me. I've been made alive. That's why my heart is tugged when we hear messages like this, Christian. That's why our heart is pulled in response to want to follow Christ in these things. So just surrender. Yeah, but it's hard. Of course it is. You're swimming upstream. 
but you're doing so in the grace of God. He's predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will to the praise of the glory of your effort. Mm -mm. To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Who's the Beloved they're referencing? Jesus Christ. For by grace have you been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, guys. It's a gift of God. Who's the gift? Jesus Christ. This is one of the passages I use often in counseling, and I'm going to tell you why. One of the things that most Christians struggle with is assurance of salvation. And the reason you struggle with assurance of salvation is because we're still being sanctified. There's areas of our life we don't want to give up. There's areas of our life where we want to be the caller of the shot. I, I, I want to live for Jesus, but there's certain things I want to hold on to. There's certain lifestyles that I like, my flesh likes, and honestly, I'm just not there yet. And we reason this with God. And guys, that's the problem. This is the problem. The problem, the heart of the problem is always the problem of the heart. Jesus wants to be on the throne of our heart. Colossians is all about Him having preeminence. Him being priority, number one. Not me. And so what happens oftentimes when people come in with marital counsel, with marital issues, with financial issues, with whatever issues, because that's all they are, they're issues. They're symptoms. We don't address symptoms. We address what the heart problem is. And when this light bulb goes on and I recognize that I'm actually secure in Christ, I see a lot of people take huge strides forward in counseling. Because for the first time they get it settled that it's not based upon their performance or their spouse's performance. It's not based upon what they do or don't do. It's based on what's been done. It is finished. It is sealed. It is over until the day of redemption. And you can stand firm on that ground. I don't have to worry about, well, if I don't do this or I don't do is God going to reject me? And there's just this insecurity that so many people live in, and it's really it's immaturity in the faith. That's all, that, a lot of times this is what it comes down to for all of us. We're immature in certain areas of our faith. And, unless you think you've arrived, all of you people, sister better than you, you too have those areas of immaturity. So does your pastor. And this is where God is working on us. This is why in the, in the journey we're on, we're all at different paces along the race. But know this. It's to the praise of the glory of His grace. And it's by His grace you are accepted in Jesus. If God doesn't extend His grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, we're all still dead in our trespasses and sins. But God has provided everything you need for salvation. He has justified you, declared you not guilty before holy God. That's done. It's finished. Happened 2,000 years ago. And the moment you believed and received, you were grafted in. You were quickened. You were adopted. You're now a child of the king. Think about it this way. My dad was Jesse Varner. All right? I was born into the Varner family. 
Now, I did a lot of things to test my daddy growing up. I did a lot of things in my young adulthood that were just not becoming of my family. But I never ceased being my dad's son. There was nothing I would ever do that would cause me to stop being my dad's son. When you are born again, you are born into the family of God. And there's nothing you can do that will ever separate you from the love of God. You will never cease being a child of the king. Now, let me say this. My daddy disciplined me. And your daddy will discipline you if you choose to walk contrary to his name. Does that make sense? And so, understanding that you're accepted. Well, I just don't know. I just don't feel love sometimes. You're accepted. All right? You're accepted. You don't need to perform. You don't need to prove anything. It's been proven. So accept who you are in Christ and now begin to live out your identity. Now put off the old man and his ways and put on the new man who's in Christ Jesus. Because that's where you are. So let's talk about this in Christ. So the idea is given in Scripture that, the, that Christ is, the, is, is a type of ark. Okay? By the way, y'all see this picture here? This is uh, at the Creation Museum. If you have never been to the Creation Museum, this is an awesome field trip. And we've talked about it. We'd love to, you know, I know we do our marriage retreat. We're kind of, my wife and I, I'll just, my counsel, my tight circle of counsel, we, we've talked about, you know, it'd be cool to do like a family instead. Of, maybe we could start rotating like a marriage retreat one year, family retreat, marriage retreat, just kind of rotate it. But we were thinking, how cool would it be to take a family trip church-wide trip to the Creation Museum. Now, it takes two or three days to see everything. It's intense. It's really cool and crazy. Um, but that thing is huge, men, ladies. Huge. I mean, you realize the measurements that are found in Scripture? You're talking like 522 boxcars. Next time you're waiting for the train, and it's just zooming by, ding, 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 ding. Start counting the trains. You got nothing else better to do. Get off your phone anyway, right? Count the trains. Count the boxcars. Look at the size of the boxcars. 522 boxcars could fit inside the ark. 522. Think about the next time you're sitting at the train track watching them go by. Don't tell me the animals couldn't fit. They could fit. Because you didn't get every animal. You just got, what? Two of every kind, right? Seven of some. I don't need all the different kinds of dogs. I just need two dogs. You follow me? Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But the ark is huge, and so they've got a replica up there. It's really cool. So here's the point. In Noah's day, he preached. How long did he preach? Come on, somebody tell me, you Bible students. How long did he preach? 120 years. And y'all thought I went long. <laughs> I just getting that one for the golf ready. Teed that up. All right. 120 years preached, right? No one in his family was the only one saved, right? Here's the point I want to make. When the wrath came, the wrath of God came upon the earth and He destroyed the earth with the flood. Everyone was killed or destroyed except for who? The ones in the ark. If, big if, if you were in the ark, you were safe. Guys, there's coming another day. 
Now, God promised that's what the rainbow's for. I don't care what anybody else will tell you. The rainbow is a promise from God. He will never destroy the earth again with flood. Next time when His wrath falls, He'll destroy the earth with fire. Now, some speculate, hey, you know, I could see that happening. Nuclear war, decimate everything in flames. It could be that way. And if God chooses to do it that way, that's fine. But God can also speak and it could decimate. The earth, the world will be destroyed with fire. And just like in the, in the first go-round, if you're in the ark, you are safe. Christ is a type of ark, Scripture tells us. And that's why when you read through Ephesians, you read through Colossians, you see that phrase, in Christ, you better pray that you're in Christ. And you can know you're in Christ based upon the promises God makes. And when that time comes, you will be kept safe. Those who are elect, those who are chosen, will be in the second ark. They will be in Christ. And whosoever will, let them come. Noah's preaching was a legit offer. But those people laughed, mocked, ridiculed, chose not to believe, right? They had no one to fault but themselves. And the same will be true in the day to come. And so if you're here today and you hear the Spirit of God drawing, respond. The door's open. We live in a time, they call it the the age of grace. The door is open. Whosoever will, let them come. But there's coming a time when that door will shut and God will shut it and no man can open it. So come while the invitation is open. So he says here again, he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. And so I want us to understand this. Look at 1 Peter 2, 9. He says, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you, mo- that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. See, this, th- again, th- this is what the Scripture teaches us. You remember when we talked about you creating His image? Remember we talked about be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth? And we talked about that filling the earth? And what is the point of Him saving us? Is that we are created in Christ unto good works? It's for His praise. It's so that in our commission, right? That our great commission that will go and make disciples of all the nations, right? The idea is that you are a conduit of God's grace. And when we're functioning as Christ intends for us to function, we become a conduit of His goodness. We become a conduit of His grace. We become a conduit of, number one, proclamation of the gospel. That's our first priority. Go into the world and preach, right? Proclaim. You're all preachers of the gospel. And we're also called to go and fill the earth with His goodness, with His praises, so that the others may praise Him. Because you're a chosen generation, church. You're a royal priesthood. This is language in the New Testament. Again, the Old Testament is given as our example. Christ fulfills the Old Testament in every way. It was just simply a shadow. And when the substance of the shadow comes, Christ came. Those elementary things are done away with. We, we now see it clearly and completely in that. And so he's using this language. He says, you're a chosen generation. This is Peter writing. That you're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. 
his own special people. That should be a motivator for putting on the new man. And why? Why has He chosen you? Why has He predestined you? Here we see it again in the same context of the word chosen and the same idea of being predestined. And again, when you look and see that phrase, anywhere you find it in Scripture, you always see this tagged right along with it, that you may proclaim the praises so that you will live it out. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You once were children of wrath, now you're children of blessing. So this is the point of Colossians. This is the argument Paul's making in the context of what he writes. Notice uh, again, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 11, Paul writing to young preacher Timothy. He says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Again, here it precedes, right? Again, the idea of putting off the old man, putting on the new. Y'all remember I illustrated, I used to go after these things of the flesh, feeding the flesh, sinful, selfish ways. You know, drink, chew, go with girls that do, that kind of stuff. You've heard that before, right? That was the way I was walking. But when repentance came into my life, when God's grace reaches down and grips my heart, soul, and mind, and I look to Christ for the grace and forgiveness and mercy that's only found in Jesus, I was born again. I was made anew. I was given a new nature. And therefore now, I'm going to pursue by God's grace. By His strength. Because He's laid hold on me. And so, as a man of God, my desire should be to flee those things. Get away! Right? So what our cat does at the house. That's what we do to our cat all the time. We traumatize our cat. We think now our cat may be mentally unstable. We're just saying. <laughs> Luke's theory is that it chewed through his headphones third time? Yeah. So, anyway. We're not sure if that shot got him, but her. We're not sure about that either. Um, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, right? Man. Guys, it's a fight. Fight the good fight of faith. How do the just live? The just shall live by faith. It's the evidence of things hoped for, not yet seen. But one day we're going to see it. So keep fighting the good fight of faith. Keep running the race you're, you're in. Keep your eyes set on things above, right? For the upward call, right, my Olympians? This is what God's called us to. And then he says this, 3.12, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Let's just kind of work through these kind of quickly. Uh, these, again, clothes, they, they often indicate, you know, think about it. When you see somebody wearing something, it kind of some defines their personality oftentimes, right? 
I mean, if I was up here today and I had my pants sagging down here, that's saying a statement, right? If I was up here and, and I was in, you know, camouflage and toting a gun, that says something about who I am, right? If I was up here in a, in a flannel shirt and some, some boots and I was holding a, a thing of uh, paper towels, what are y'all laughing at? Anyway, see, I mean, it communicates something, right? No matter what, you, you, you communicate something. And God says here, look, communicate this. Put on tender mercies. By the way, that word tender mercies, some of yours uh, may say bowels of mercy. King James, bowels of mercy. This is a correct word, actually. King James gets this right, right here. This is that uh, Greek word, splachnon. Oh, sorry about that, front row. Splachnon, right? Splachnon. That's bad Hebrew inter- interpretation, but it's, it's, it means bowels. It's, it's actually your internals. It's like your entire being. It's like, you know, these, these, the stomach, the gut. You know, oh, man. You have, I mean, some of you know, you know, here we are, Valentine's. Oh, sweetheart, will you be mine? you be mine? Some of you have had that sickness, right? You just say, oh, I just love it so much. It makes me sick. You know, hopefully I've never had that kind of drama in your life. We try to protect our kids from that. Been there. Anyway. This idea of the bowels of mercy. Because, again, when, when the Hebrew and, and the Greek kind of understood this word differently, in that, uh, but at the same time, that this was you. This comes from the depth of who you are. And that sometimes when there was such this desire, it was from... From deep within, and the only way they knew back in the day was to kind of describe it was, yeah, this is the, you know this is this is just my gut, man. This is this is everything within me, and so he's saying, put on these tender mercies, everything you have. This this heart of compassion is a good way to describe it. Do you have a heart of compassion? Whew. Hey, can I just be real for a second? I am so grateful for people at Community Baptist that have a spiritual gift, and some of you know you have the spiritual gift of, of mercy. Because I'm a prophet. Like, when you look at the description in, in the New Testament of spiritual gifts, I'm an evangelist. That's one of my spiritual gifts. And I'm also a, a prophet in the sense I foretell the Word of God. But oftentimes when you study prophets, they kind of lacked in the area of compassion. I mean, you just don't picture John the Baptist, you know, cuddling people and, come here, let me give you a hug. You know, you just don't. And that's okay. I accept you for who you are. Please accept me for who I am. It hurts my splog now if you don't. Anyway. But I'm grateful for those who do have the gift. That doesn't mean I'm excused. Just like you're not excused from evangelizing. You follow me? We all have our areas. We all have our areas, right? Just being real. Tender mercies, kindness, opposite of harshness and severity. <laughs> See, that was my two spiritual gifts. I mean, it was, uh, kindness, it's opposite of harshness and severity. Humility, recognizing of one's own weaknesses, but also the, recogni- the recognition of the power of God. And so sometimes, you know, humility is saying, for example, hey, you know what? I- I'm probably not the best one to ask on that. Y- y- you might want to check with brother so-and-so and brother so-and-so. Right? That's a form of humility. Not having to have the preeminence. Diotrephes was a guy in Scripture who always had to have preeminence. Right? 
And so sometimes humility is just sort of recognizing God's got this, and so let me just get out of the way. Meekness is a gentle attitude. It's kind act towards other, kind acts towards others. Wow, there's a challenge, huh? Tell you what, let's make that a challenge for this week. Everybody listening today, this week, you got one week, do a kind act. Something where you have to sacrifice or go out of your way to do something kind. Just do something kind. We can do this, right? We've, we've done these kind of things before. You know, you pay for the person behind you in the line, whatever. I, I'm going to tell you what to come up with. Just do a kind act for somebody. It's displaying the love of Christ. We're to put on these things, guys. This should identify us. Long-suffering. That's a long-holding out of the mind before it gives room to action or passion. Man, sometimes you just want to give it to them, don't you? <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just think, man, I just want to... Aren't you glad God didn't you <laughs> several times? I know I am. And boy, he sure could have, right? Long-suffering. Those who are humble in mind naturally um, are slow to resent wrongs and they don't typically contemplate revenge, right? And so we need to be long-suffering towards those who are without well, we'll pick up in verse 13, Lord willing, next week because this kind of feeds over. And let me just read the first part. It says, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against you or against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Guys, we got to put on the new man. Who are you? What's your identity? Whose jersey are you wearing? How will they know you're a follower of mine, Jesus asked? How will they know your love for one another? We're going to talk about that. This is a great week to be talking about. Isn't God good? Lined it up, man, right? Valentine's Day. I didn't do that. That's God's Word. Putting us right here, Valentine's Week. So next week we'll talk about the love of God, the example of God, the love of God. We're going to talk about some of these things. But guys, remember whose you are. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Let's go this week and let's present our bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. This is a reasonable, reasonable act of worship, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that uh, you would have your will and way in this closing moment. I'm going to ask Amanda if she wouldn't mind come and play just a closing song. And as she comes, I want to ask this question as your, all eyes are closed and heads bowed. Maybe you're here this morning. And you'd be honest with God. You say, you know, preacher, I, I'm just being real. I, I've heard you present this truth, and I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure of my salvation. I can't say that I know Christ or that 
that Christ knows me. And honestly, I don't want to leave here today without getting that settled. And so I just want you to think in the depths of your heart right now, if that's you, that's you. Would you be honest before God and nobody looking around? All I want to do is just pray for you. I can't save you. I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you. I can't. I'm not going to do that. But you'd be honest and say, I'm not sure if I die today that my sins are forgiven. Pray for me. If that's you, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it and then just pull it back down. Nobody's looking. Thank you for your honesty. Just slip it up, slip it back down. Anybody else? Others? Yes, I see that hand. Thank you. So here's what I want to ask. This is too important of a moment to just leave it. If you want to get this assurance and you want to get it settled, then I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. It's time to stop floating downstream. And I want you to turn. Turn to Christ today. Turn to Christ where, right where you are right now. Surrender your heart and surrender your life. Acknowledge your sin to Him. He promises you He will not cast you out. He will not turn you away if you come to Him in humble repentance and faith. Right there where you're at, I'm going to ask you to call upon the name of Christ to save you. God says there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which you can be saved simply put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ as you're praying that Christians I'm going to ask you to be praying for these souls that raise their hand that they'll get it settled today that they'll not leave out of here without their heart being converted and changed. That they would not leave out of here today without their soul and spirit being quickened and made alive. Pray for that right now. Father, salvation belongs to you. And I pray in this moment you will draw with the cords of love that the Holy Spirit tugs at the heart of man. Lord, I ask that you will give the boldness, the holy boldness to do what comes next. The Bible says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe, to the Jew and also to the Greek. And so, Lord, if there be someone here today, as has been recognized by the raising of hands, let them take this next step of faith and confess Jesus as Lord. Not just through word, but through action, through repentance. Let them cast aside the old man and let them put on the new man by your grace, by your grace. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to do something. Pastor Dean, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to go to the back of the room, please. To the overflow, you can open those curtains, if you would, just a little. And I'm also going to ask uh, Pastor Nate and Jessica if you would, please go back there as well to where Dean is. Everyone, please continue praying. Keep your eyes closed, please. I want to keep my word with these folks.
Dean, if you want to close it just a little, give some privacy back there, that'd be wonderful. Here's what I want you to do. If you raise your hand, let's get this settled right now. I'm going to ask you to stop floating downstream. It's time to swim. If you would, just go to the back. I've got some counselors in the back. They're going to show you by the Word of God how you can get things settled right now. Never to doubt again. If you would, just get up out of your seat. Nobody's looking. Just go to the back. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Keep praying, folks. It's a glorious day. Lives are stepping from darkness into light. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. And may we never lose sight of how precious it is. Forgive us, Lord, when we don't walk in the light. Help us as we go from here. And I pray for those that are here. Lord, we'll continue to pray for those that are getting things settled right where they are. Lord, help these souls to solidify today that their names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, that they'll have that assurance, and that they'll walk in newness of life. To your praise and to your glory in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said,